Hi, welcome to Lambert Park Church. Our vision is life with God for the world. Our mission is to invite everyone to follow Jesus with us through redemptive community, intentional discipleship, and everyday mission. We're so glad you're here. Stay tuned for the podcast coming right up. All right, so today we are going to talk about something we don't usually talk about on a Sunday morning, at least not explicitly, a topic that some of you might think shouldn't be talked about from the pulpit or the music stand, as we use here, Uh, a topic that often is considered a private matter that's no one else's business, and I'm curious what you think I'm going to talk about. I can see some faces. (laughs) What is he going to say? We're going to talk today about money. Ooh. And what you and I do with it, and not just our attitude about it, but what we actually do with it, and I'm just going to put it on the table, we're going to talk as a part of that about tithing. Ooh. (laughs) And just know this, no matter what happens this morning, my salary I don't think is going to change. So this is not about me wanting an increase, okay? Let's put that down. In the last, or a decrease. Uh, I guess things, some things could change. In the last few decades, the Christian church has sent some very mixed messages in reference to money. And maybe it's longer than the last few decades, but I did not pay attention prior to my life. (laughs) On one side, there are those individuals, pastors, preachers, evangelists, tele-evangelists. All I have to do is say the word tele-evangelist, and most of us think of someone on a screen asking for money. Anytime you get to that episode, anytime you get to that show, they're asking for money. Arguing, pleading, persuading that God wants you to give to them so they can do God's work And if you do, you'll be opening yourself up to a miracle. You know what I'm talking about. So on one side, it seems like Christian leaders are always talking about money. Some of us feel that way. Asking for your money, guilting you for your money. And the emphasis is entirely on you and I making a donation so they can continue increasingly do God's work. And on the other side, very much in response to this, there are many pastors and churches that almost never talk about money at all. And I think I've probably found myself more on that side as a reaction against the first. Part of this being to separate themselves from those who are always making appeals, but also because they want to put the focus on other things, more important things, things like Jesus knowing, following Jesus, who he is, what he's about, what he's seeking for us and in us. Many in this camp have adopted a spoken or unspoken policy to never talk about finances. And I'm sure that has been a welcome approach to many. Some of you might say, oh, thank you, Jesus. Most people would rather talk maybe about their work life or their prayer life than their personal financial decisions. For many, Personal finances feel like a don't-go-there topic, not just in church, but maybe with friends and with family, unless maybe you have some amazing, quick, simple little thing that you or I could do to make fast money (laughs) that's legal. (laughs) Otherwise, don't go there. But this morning, we're going to go there, not to the quick, simple way to get, you know. 
But this morning we're going to go there because more and more as you follow Jesus and pay attention to his revelation in Scripture, you can't get away from the fact that Jesus talks a lot about money. That what we do with the money and possessions at our disposal has everything to do with following and trusting Jesus. Or to put it another way, trusting God has everything to do with what you and I do with the money and possessions at our disposal. And not just our attitude about it, but what we actually do with it. So if you think this is something we shouldn't be dealing with from the music stand, so I'm just gonna, we're going to go there. Because God goes there. Because Jesus goes there. Fact is, money and what we do with it are a topic that Jesus regular, regularly got into. More than we realize. Many have pointed out, Jesus actually talks more about money than about heaven and hell explicitly combined. Not because Jesus cared or cares less about our eternity. Thank God he does. But he also knows that money and possessions so often are an unseen idol that binds us. An unseen idol that holds us in perpetual anxiety and not only to our detriment, but also to the detriment of others. As a wise Christian once put it, Jesus knew that we would not be free in Christ until our love affair with money was terminated. Honestly, for many of us, this area of our lives is a primary battleground and probably will be throughout our lives, continually tempting and luring us towards selfish consumption, neglect of others, and misplaced trust. And that's at the heart of it, misplaced trust. And if you're not convinced of this, that the gospel has significant implications for how we handle our money, Turn with me to Luke chapter 3, if you have a Bible. Oh, is Charlie in the room? Charlie. Charlie Lidstone. About a month ago, two months ago, I mentioned how I never get to hear people's Bibles open anymore. Because we all have um, digital Bibles. And I said, someone should develop an app so when you open your your version Bible, it says, And Charlie did something. So when he turns on the app on his phone, it has like an angel choir. (laughs) And I said I'd ask him, but he's not here today. Okay. Maybe not well. Another time. Luke 3, 8. This is a text we spent some time in during Advent. Because it's here that we were introduced to our Advent prophet, John the Baptist, and his call for repentance. Fulfilling a number of Old Testament prophecies, John bursts on the scene announcing that God is about to do something. This is the beginning of the Gospels. God is about to send the Messiah to deliver his people from their oppressors and inaugurate God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And so John calls the people to repentance, to turn from their ways and turn to God, to put their trust in God. Otherwise, God's coming might be for them not deliverance but destruction. And the people came They came from all over to hear John's message and to respond by being baptized in the Jordan River as a sign of their repentance, a sign of their conversion. But as John looked across the crowds coming to him to be baptized, he got very direct with them. He pressed them to not just come and perform a religious rite and then go back to life as usual, but to come and be baptized and then to 
show their faith, their trust, their repentance, to prove, he uses that word, to prove the reality of their conversion by living in a new way, revealing their trust in God in their everyday lives, as we hear John say explicitly in Luke 3, verse 8, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Prove it. Show it in your daily life. Don't just get baptized and then go off saying that you now trust God. Show it with your life. And in response, the people ask, how? What does this mean, John? What what does it look like for me to prove? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Give us some specifics. What should we do? And John does. I love this. Luke 3, 10 and following. What should we do then, the crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more money than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, what about us? What should we do? And he replied, don't extort money. Don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. It's not what we'd expect. We expect in a moment like this, if we were there, Jesus might name a whole constellation of other things. But here in this moment, every response John gave deals with money and possessions. Every response. So I'll say it again. What we do with the money and possessions at our disposal has everything to do with our trust in God In the light of John's comments here, we might even need to say that what we do with the money and possessions at our disposal is a significant indicator of our trust in God. Think with me about Zacchaeus, uh, Luke chapter 19. Zacchaeus is a rich man. Many of us know a story, maybe even know a song about Zacchaeus. A a A chief tax collector in Jericho. He had a reputation that had everything to do with his money and possessions and how he treated others relative to his acquiring money and possessions. And one day Jesus shows up in town and specifically invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. Side note, I love this about Jesus. He invites himself over to someone else's house. If you ever feel like I would never do that, Jesus did it. Maybe you should invite yourself over and say, just being like Jesus. Anyways, Jesus and Zacchaeus spend some time together, and next thing you know, Zacchaeus, oh, well, let it be said, he came as a bearer of good news, okay? So if you're going to come invite yourself over to someone's house, be a bearer of good news. Anyways, Zacchaeus, Jesus and Zacchaeus spend an afternoon together, and next thing you know, Zacchaeus is standing in front of everyone, declaring to Jesus, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, and we all know he did, I will pay back four times the amount. And in response, Jesus says, whoa, 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 Zacchaeus, that's your business. I don't care about that. I just want you to believe in me, join a Bible study, get off Tinder. (laughs) No. Jesus says, in the wake of Zacchaeus' announcement, he says, today, salvation has come to this house. Today, salvation has come to this house. 
Zacchaeus' new commitment in relation to his wealth and possession and others proves his conversion, his encounter with grace. It was a sign to everyone that he was now trusting God with his life. His life. Not just his eternity, but his life. I love a line by John Ortberg that I've quoted, I'm sure, before. He said, God is not interested in your spiritual life. He just wants your life. Zacchaeus seems to have understood this. All that he had, all that he had, was no longer, according to Zacchaeus, his. It was God's. And so his desire now as a child of God, trusting in God, was to simply be a faithful steward of what God had placed in his care for the sake of all, not just himself. In response, Jesus proclaims today, salvation has come to this house. Today, this man has been saved, delivered, unshackled from the idol that has held his heart and life and soul captive the sin of greed and selfish accumulation and the anxiety that comes with it. Today, this man has been saved from the crushing lie of misplaced trust. Today, this man has been saved by entrusting his life, his past, his present, his future, all that he is, all that he has to God. What we do with the money and possessions at our disposal has everything to do with our trust in God. What we do with the money and possessions at our disposal is a significant indicator of the reality of our trust in God. So let me get to the point. Do we trust God with our lives? Do you trust that as you seek God's kingdom first or seek first God's kingdom as you spend your days seeking his desires and will in the life that he has given you, do you trust that he will care for you in real ways? Or is your life quietly or not so quietly pervaded by, shaped by, guided by anxiety with worry about how you will get by? And when it comes specifically to a financial crunch, is your primary response one of trust and open-handedness, generosity even? Or is your primary first response worry and closed-fistedness, clinging to what little or lot that you have? And one way to get at the honest answer to this question is to ask, do you tithe? Whoa. I can hear some of you inwardly saying, whoa, whoa, Scott, don't go there. But I'm going there because God goes there, because Jesus goes there. Let's go there. Because Let, hey. <laughs> it might be a surprise to some of us to think that the New Testament, we might think the New Testament doesn't teach tithing. And yet an attentive reading of the Gospels will lead us to see not only that Jesus does not abolish the tithing command or principle, however you want to describe it, but just the opposite, Jesus quietly affirms it. Matthew 23, verse 23, in the midst of a series of woes. Oh, that's fitting, hey? 
Whoa. Matthew 23, verse 23. In the midst of a series of woes, um, cautions, even rebukes, that Jesus speaks to the teachers of the law in his day, Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you clean... Oh, I'm in the wrong one. Sorry, that's verse 25. Verse 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, cumin, i.e. you tithe on everything, everything, down to your spices. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the, the latter without neglecting the former. In truth, Gary Bennett's teaching these last few Sundays, and what a gift he was, midway through that I thought, I don't know how I can follow Gary Bennett. He's way cooler, smarter, funnier than me, and that's kind of true. Uh, but he really helped point us toward these weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, mercy, and faithfulness. But in the midst of this, notice two things. One, that Jesus celebrates the intent of God's original law. And second, that Jesus concludes his rebuke with a quiet reaffirmation of the call to tithe to the Pharisees that day. He should have practiced the latter, seeking justice, mercy, and faithfulness without neglecting the former, tithing from all that you have. Why? Because Jesus knows that we have not outgrown our anxious need. That today, as much as ever, so many of us, if not all of us, find ourselves waging a battle, experiencing a battle in our lives with an idol called money, having enough. Jesus knows the hold that money and possessions have on us. He knows that we are all prone towards selfish accumulation and anxious hoarding. And he knows our need to continually be rescued from the grip of tight-fisted living and as an act of counterformation to be trained and tutored in ways of trust. Again, to quote, pastor I read before, Jesus knew that we would not be free in Christ until our love affair with money was terminated. But what strikes me in that is it feels like something I need Jesus to continually terminate because somehow it comes alive again. And one of the ways that God has chosen to do this is through the practice, the ongoing practice of tithing. So what does that mean? What does that look like? What does it mean to tithe? I assume most of us Know this, it's pretty straightforward. But here and there, as I've walked with others, pastored the church, I've encountered many who've grown up in the church, have never learned the basics of this, so we need to talk about it. Simply put, Mosaic Law, God instructed every one of his people to give 10%, a tithe of their seed, their fruit, their herd each year to God. This is Leviticus 27, Deuteronomy 14, Deuteronomy 26, Malachi as well. They were required to do this. They were invited to give more as offerings of thanks and praise, but they were required to bring the tithe. God's people to regularly 
and faithfully set aside their tithe, the tenth of the fruit of their labor, and bring it to God's house and give it as an offering to God. To God, right? Not as an offering to the priests, but to God. Though, let's be clear, according to God's economy, this is how God would provide for those who had to set aside the work of the field to labor in the house, or also to care for the destitute. The tithes would help be the provision for the priests who had no part of the land and for the destitute in the land. This is what we're told in Deuteronomy 14. And this is where talking about tithing can feel really awkward, if not inappropriate, for someone like me, a pastor who is paid by the church, people who work for the church and depend upon the faithful giving of others, because it can look like I'm talking about giving to me and hoping my wage goes up, which we've already named. But that's not what tithing is. It's not a tip for a good sermon or a great song. In truth, it's not primarily about supporting me or the rest of the staff, though that is bound up in it. But it's about God. It's about the idol in our hearts that we need to continually be unshackled from. It's about our training and trust. It's about faithfully and regularly giving back to or over to God a portion of what he has given us, a tithe, a tenth, as an act of trust, a practice, an exercise of trust, thanking God for his provision and learning again and again to trust God with our real lives. To trust God to provide for us as we share in the provision of God for others. And so in this way, our tithes do provide for those who are called to serve and lead. But note that I just said right there, our tithes. Our tithes. Because I am called to tithe too. Janet and I are called to tithe. The fact is, this is something that we have had to grapple with through the years have to learn and to live together and have come to appreciate over the years of our marriage. And it might seem odd to say that. Some of you think, whoa, really appreciate? But I mean it. I think Janet would say it even more because she manages our money. As do many who practice a tithe. I know it's easy and common to think of God's commands as onerous, maybe even oppressive, Many think that way. Maybe some of us do. We probably all do at times. But over and over in Scripture, we are invited to discover that all of God's commands, all of God's commands, all of God's instructions, all of God's invitations are ultimately and truly for our good. Rather than oppressing us, they are intended to help us learn to live free. This is what the preface to the Ten Commandments says to us explicitly. Exodus 20, verse 2 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I want you to be free, God is saying. So live these ways. That's what the Ten Commandments are. They're invitations to live in the freedom of God and to not let ourselves be taken back to oppression and being oppressors. Again, to quote another wise pastor from a previous generation, formerly pastor in Vancouver, following Christ's commands will prove to be our liberation, not our captivity, which is why I've come to resonate with those who see tithing as a grace, a gift, and not just a command or instruction. In the same way that keeping the Sabbath 
is both a gift and a command, freeing us again and again, week after week, from this oppressive lie that everything is on you, and inviting us every in a similar way God calls and invites us to tithe so that we might continually, through the concrete act of giving over something God has given to us back to him, we would learn to trust God again and again. We would practice trust. We would exercise trust and be set free again and again from the anxiety of being our own sustainer to living in the freedom of God's sovereign provision and care. Which doesn't make tithing easy. Just as keeping a Sabbath at times is not easy. Especially at the start, it's hard. And there are times along the way where it will become hard again in different circumstances. I know that. The one thing that is easy about tithing is calculating it, right? <laughs> Elizabeth O'Connor says, none of us have to be an accountant to know what 10% of an income is. My kids know I'm horrible at math. Um, but, uh, but basic things like this I can count. But each of us has to be a person on our knees before God if we are to embrace our commitment to proportionate tithing. But on the other side, or in the grip of this at times hard discipline, many have come to view it as a gift, a gift of grace from God. In the church, we often, we sometimes hear people talk about, or we often think about the cost of discipleship, don't we? The cost of following Jesus, of obeying God, and it's real. It is real. We all know this. And if you don't, I, you were probably not following Jesus because his way will lead at times to a cross, to suffering, to turn away from things that we might want to do that we feel might be easier or better. Following Jesus comes with a cost. But as Dallas Willard, wise Christian, once countered, what about the cost of non-discipleship? The cost of not following Jesus, of not obeying God. And this definitely applies to the tithe. Yes, tithing can seem costly, but consider the alternative. If tithing is, according to God, an expression of thanksgiving and trust, and a means of learning to trust, a means of placing ourselves concretely in dependence upon God, then withholding our tithe can be a declaration of self-dependence and self-reliance. And that is real for many in the church. Not all. Please, I'm going to name two reasons that hold us back from a tithe here. And if the first one is not you, do not feel uh, that I'm putting everyone in one box. But it needs to be said that for some, for some, the choice not to tithe is explicitly an act of defiance. A way of saying, don't go there. Don't go there, God. You don't own me. This is my, my money, my bank account, my career, my nest egg. I've got plans, and I don't trust you. Not with my life, maybe with my eternity, but not with my life. So leave it to me. I'll see you Sunday if the game doesn't start too early or whatever, right? And if that's you, and that might be you, I would dare to say that you have fundamentally misunderstood the gospel and the offer of Jesus. I would dare to say you have not been converted. And Jesus' words to the 
rich young ruler boldly imply this, that eternity starts today. Eternity starts today. And the offer of Jesus to receive and know his saving grace starts today and carries on into eternity. Why would you trust God with your eternity and not with your today, not with your life? Honestly, friends, if that is you, if what I am saying is speaking to you, naming you, my concern for you in this moment is far bigger than tithing. It is about the reality of life with God and maybe the lack thereof for you. If my words seem to be pressing on your conscience, maybe Jesus is walking in your door right now, inviting you to put your trust in him with your life. With your life. Maybe for the first time or maybe again. Longing to say as he did, to declare as he did of Zacchaeus, salvation has come to this house. Here is a man, here is a woman who has been unshackled because they've turned to me, to Jesus. <laughs> you and I are not made to be the center and source of our own existence. You and I were not made to be the center and source of our existence. We were made to live with Christ as our center and source. So turn to Christ. Put your trust in Christ for life, for your real life today and forever. Jesus' invitation is open to you, even if your background is like Zacchaeus's, a reputation for hoarding, for taking, for clinging, not for generosity. But for others of us, for many others, the choice not to tithe, at least on the surface, often boils down to fear. Doesn't it? We find ourselves saying to God, maybe this morning as I'm speaking, sorry God, I would love to tithe, but I can't. I can't afford to. At least not this month, not in this season, not this semester, not this whatever. I don't know how I could. I don't know if, I, if I'd even make it without keeping that. I need what I have and it doesn't even feel like enough. Sorry, God. Thanks for understanding. You ever said that? Has that ever been you? I know I've experienced that. And it's true, God does understand. Jesus understands everything we face, everything we ever will face. And that is why he calls us to learn to tithe. Because he knows that we all live on the cusp of self-preservation. On the cusp of taking our lives back into our own hands and having that hold us in anxiety. And so in the crucibles that we are facing, Jesus invites us because he knows us. He invites us to not cling to what we have and our own sufficiency, but to learn to walk in the grace of trusting him, trusting God. The grace and gift of entrusting ourselves to the creator and sustainer of all things in such a concrete way. Saying to God, each time we tithe, God, I don't know how this will work. In fact, I don't think I have enough, but you have enough and you're my father and you've claimed me. And so I will open my hands to you 
in this very real way. I would rather give from little and entrust myself to you and your care than cling to it and try to make it on my own. As much as I don't know how this is going to work, I trust you. You ever had times of tithing like that? Those of you that have, do. I suspect many of you have. That is the story of many of our lives. I know Janet and I have experienced it. Tithing when tithing didn't seem to make any sense, at least in a secular or godless mindset. But tithing isn't built on a secular or godless mindset, right? It is grounded in the conviction that the gospel brings us to, into a real engagement with a real God who is Lord over the real world, who made the world and sustains it by his word. That's what Colossians tells us. A few years back, Janet reminded me of a story. I have forgotten all my stories so I'm thankful for Janet for a million reasons. But she reminded me of a story of uh, when we were first married. I was still in university, and I had to fill out an application for a scholarship that I needed to get. And part of that application involved writing out and submitting our monthly income and expenses. And through this exercise, we discovered, you'd think we would have known this, but we didn't. Through this exercise, we discovered that we were bringing in $1,200 a month and our basic monthly expenses, including our tithe, totaled $1,400 a month. And yet every month, we had everything we needed. Every month. It was so confusing. Every month, somehow, we had enough to pay our bills, pay off our visa, not accumulate debt. We had no way of explaining it, except that we tried to live simply, we trusted God, we ate the same meals over and over and over. And we expressed our trust in tithing. And we had enough. And I know as I say that, that sounds simplistic, naive, young married couple's experience. For us, it was pretty real. But sometimes it's so not simple at all. So one last story. Last weekend, I was away. Uh, we were up at Camp Homewood. I was sitting at a table at a meal with uh, a wonderful human being who's been through a lot of life. I asked them, where were you born? 45 minutes later, I'd heard their whole life story. Uh, and halfway through, they realized it. But anyways, it was great. Um, let me... Oh, yeah. And then this woman tells me her story. She's uh, about a decade older than me, I'd say. And years ago, she found herself freshly a widow, 34 years old, with three young kids. In the throes of grief, needing stable housing. For the time being, they were staying with family. Kids were in a school. They were praying together. She was praying together with the kids daily. God, we need a place. We need a place. And one day as she drove her kids to school, everyone very aware of this basic prayer, they turned around a corner and her nine-year-old called out from the back, hey mom, we should get a house like that brown one over there. She knew the people who owned the brown house, the mom. And she said, sure. And again said, Jesus, we need a place. We're clinging to you. The next day, she gets a phone call from a friend telling her that a house is going to go 
be listed soon. By the way, you know the people. It's that little brown house. They want to know if you'd like it, if you'd like to get in ahead of time and uh, buy this house. What a story. In the moment, you're like, wow, I feel the feels. And then she turns at me and she says, okay, but Scott, listen, you need to know this. I was no saint. I was no great prayer warrior or person of great faith. We were just an ordinary, broken, hurting young family. Ordinary Christians doing what we could to obey God, to trust God. We prayed. We tithed. And God made sure we had what we needed. Tithing isn't easy. Trusting God isn't easy. But it makes a lot of sense too. Because he's worth it. He's trustworthy. He holds all of creation. And by his grace, he holds us. It has nothing to do with how much we make, how much we have to give. It has everything to do with learning to trust God with what he has given us. And giving from that as an act of trust. I was tempted to um, hunt down the old offering baskets today. <laughs> Pull them out right now, right? As in, I'm like, yeah, let's do it. But I, we, we, I don't even know where they are. But I, I really wasn't tempted because that would be so dumb. Because I think it actually would hijack this moment where God is speaking to some of us. And it'd be easy to be like, oh, I got a, I got a fiver, throw it in. And then just move on. God is not looking for us to throw a fiver in and move on. He is seeking to enter in. He's inviting himself into our house, our real house, to talk to us about our real lives and invite us to find and seek those ways that we can show real trust, learn, grow in, practice real trust for his glory and for our good. Let's pray. Jesus, I... I do acknowledge the obvious um, potential self-interest in me speaking on this. And we just lay that at your feet and recognize that apart from that, this is a real part of our lives that is a real battle place. And we need your saving grace, God, in these places in our lives. And we thank you that you love us enough and you know us in our world enough to speak to it all the time, much more than we expect. You have so much to say to us about how you give your creation so generously to us, how you invite us into your generosity and the freedom of having our wallets and our bank accounts entrusted to you and discipled by you, Jesus. So we bow before you. Thank you for speaking to us. Or whatever I've said today that has not been helpful, help me to figure it out and others to let it go. But Lord, where you have spoken to us today, lead us in faith to hear you out and trust that you are good and follow you into freedom. Amen.